He's a cast. He's a podcast. <laughs> and there's nothing more to say. If he's a cast, he's a good one. And I wish that I could travel his way. <laughs> Advertising our podcast with that one. <laughs> I thought about just leaving it at there's nothing more to say. Yeah, just to yeah. be like, that's it. There's nothing. And then like immediately <laughs> the podcast's over. Because <laughs> I don't feel like I have too much to say about this movie. Yeah, but there's a little bit to say about it. Uh, you know what I have to say about this movie? What's that? It's a good one! <laughs> everybody and welcome to me mom and the mouse a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family we're watching every film in the disney animated canon and talking about how it was made what it means and why we love it or don't my name is isaac coleman and i'm joined as always by my mother rue coleman hello isaac a known dog hater <laughs> let's say a known indifferent to dogs <laughs> i'm just not an animal lover in general yeah i think that's come through on the podcast for both of us <laughs> we never had a pet growing up it's true or i never did i deprived you oh yeah i had several pets growing up but i never thought of most of them as mine yeah but the dogs in this movie are cute they, they appear are. to have no biological functions whatsoever <laughs> yeah yeah animated dogs probably don't even smell Exactly. All they eat is spaghetti once. <laughs> anyway, we are, of course, talking about a dog movie. One of two in the Silver Era. We are talking about Lady and the Tramp from 1955, directed by Clyde Geronimi, Wilfred Jackson, and Hamilton Luska, a.k.a. Dem Boys. <laughs> Didn't I see this is the last time the three of them are together as directors? Oh, uh, is it? Is it the end of Dem Boys? Let's see. It might be the end of Dem Boys. Our boys. The only other one Geronimi worked on was 101 Dalmatians, and it's true, no Wilfred Jackson. He gets replaced with Wolfgang Reitherman. That's because he has to retire. He's too old. I believe he gets sick or has a heart attack or something. It's a shame. Yeah, then he retires. 101 Dalmatians versus Lady and the Tramp. Who wins? Hmm... That's a hard one. It's been a while since I've seen 101. Maybe we saved that for that yeah, episode. Yeah, let's save it for that episode. They're so different, even though they both have dog main characters. Anyway, mm -hmm. let's talk about it then. All right. What does this movie mean to you? I think this is a fun little movie. I'm pretty sure we owned it when I was growing up, so I'd seen it several times. It was never one of my favorites, but I am very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. We didn't actually buy it for our family, though, until we bought the 2012 Blu-ray version. So you probably didn't see it very much when you were young. The weird thing is, I definitely did. And maybe this was Blockbuster Rental. Maybe this was at Relative's House. But I've definitely seen this one a lot. It's extremely hmm. familiar to me, even though you're absolutely right. No clamshell. No clamshell VHS. Correct. We didn't even own the DVD version. And... I was worried because it had been so long since I had seen it that it wouldn't hold up to my memory of it. It was just one of those that I was like, am I going to watch this after I bought it and have regrets? <laughs> yeah. Because it's happened, you know, it, it, when you there's a movie you loved as a child and then you watch it when you're grown up and you're like, ooh, what was I thinking? 
Oh no, Peter Pan. <laughs> I was pleased to discover that it mostly holds up. Right. This was never one of my favorite uh, Disney movies, but I always enjoyed it. Yeah. Watching it again together. That's kind of where I end up. <laughs> it's a pretty empty movie, yeah. in my opinion. Like, it doesn't have a lot going on. As I said, I don't know how much we have to talk about, except mm-hmm. I always say that, and then we go on for, you know, two hours Yeah, 30. don't say that. You, you'll jinx us. I know. We'll do another Make Mine Music, <laughs> which is to say we'll make another great episode. Exactly. Like, that was one of our best, I think, so far. It is charming. Like, it's cute. Yeah. I find it hard to hate. <laughs> but it's it's not when I'm gonna like watch all the time. I feel like I watch exactly. it every you know four years or so. Maybe like that's probably how frequently I come back to it. That feels mm-hmm. about right. Yeah, but it's a lot of people's favorites or your favorite. A lot of people love it. Hmm. Let's go ahead and talk about it. This movie started when Disney story artist Joe Grant approached Walt with basically making a movie about his dog. He had an English Springer Spaniel named Lady, which of course is the type of dog she is in the film. I believe she's actually an American Cocker Spaniel in the film, but similar enough, Spaniel. Yeah, again, I want to stress I know nothing about dogs. (laughs) That will come up throughout this episode. (laughs) Joe Grant had had a new baby, and apparently the dog was, or at least in his mind, the dog was jealous (laughs) And so he kind of came up with this cute little pitch about it. Walt loved the way that Lady's fur resembled a dress. He thought that the idea of a dog having a rivalry with a baby could make a great comedy. (laughs) So this was in 1937. He commissions Grant to begin story development on the project under the working title Lady. Yep. And Grant spends years working on different concepts and designs. Some other animators get involved. But Walt felt the story was still lacking. He he thought the story was too, like, sweet, and there wasn't any real conflict in it or action. He wanted to do action. Yeah. Then in 1945, Walt read the short story Happy Dan the Cynical Dog by <laughs> Ward Green in Cosmopolitan Magazine. And this is like that story that inspired Bongo. If anyone can find the text in this thing, I would like to read it. Yeah, I was looking for it too and could not find it. Nobody seems to know where it is, which is a shame. Ward Green himself, he was a writer, editor, journalist, general manager of King Features Syndicate, which is arguably the most important American newspaper comic syndicate still. He doesn't really have any particularly notable works. This isn't like the Bongo story where it's like, oh, great writer, wrote a story that was adapted into a a Disney thing and continued writing after it. Mm -hmm. After Lady and the Tramp takes off, he basically just continues to write Lady and the Tramp things. He wrote (laughs) an official book that was published two years before the movie to get people used to the characters, Mm -hmm. which is such a funny idea now that Disney (laughs) is so horrifically obsessed with spoilers yeah, but they back then they were definitely putting out, you know, music records, whatever. You could get stuff in advance. I mean, you can still get stuff in advance. The new movie that's coming out soon, you can get toys and books and all kinds of things about it already, even though the movie's not out yet. So I don't know that you could say that they're completely anti-spoiler. <laughs> well, it depends on the movie, but like with, with Disney and Marvel especially, you read about the making of Avengers Endgame, and the actors were not allowed to have any parts of the script that were not their lines, so none of them knew what they were making. 
Yeah. Which, that, which kind of feels like it was the case when you watched a movie. But but that's a different situation than one of these animated movies. Sure. They sometimes do it to at least some extent with the anime. The point is, it's a different media landscape. Back yeah. then, the marketing push was, we need people to know who these characters are and care about them. And there mm. isn't an easy way to, you know, tell everyone about it all at once. Yeah. So we have to... Write a book. Yeah. Right. We, <laughs> We're going like... to publish the movie novelization two, two years, years before advance, the movie right? comes out and is not even complete. And maybe a large number of people will know what it is by the time the movie comes out. Versus <laughs> now, everyone can know everything instantly. Yeah. So now it's about we have to tamp down on as many details as possible so people feel the need to go to the theater. Or right. however people are going to watch Raya. Mm-hmm. Which comes out the weekend we're recording. Yep. In theaters and hopefully somewhere where you won't die. You can get it on the premium Disney Plus, which is, you know, the pay the extra 30 bucks. Yeah, I want to see that movie, but I don't know about that. Eventually it'll be free on Disney Plus like Mulan, so... But that's not the point. Right. Happy Day and the Cynical Dog is a story, supposedly... You know, who knows, because you can't find it. But it's apparently a story about a a mischievous stray dog who manipulates humans into feeding him. Mm -hmm. That is apparently the whole story. So, you know, sounds like a real barn burner. (laughs) But Walt was like, oh, this is a good idea. We take this cynical dog and we take this too sweet dog. We meet in the middle. We have a movie. Right. So he bought the rights to the story so that they could add the character to the film who would eventually be named Tramp after he had several other names. <laughs> he still has several names in the movie. <laughs> well, yes, but he was going to be called Homer and Rags and Bozo. Those are all terrible. Tramp yep. is clearly the best possible name. Right. You have that like tie to Charlie Chaplin and the little Tramp and it's good. Mm-hmm. But... Then, once the rights to his work were purchased, Ward Green then wrote that novelization, as we said. And afterwards, he started writing a comic strip that we will talk about in sequels, spinoffs. And I think he wrote some other Lady and the Tramp stuff as well. But basically, he was just like, I'm done. (laughs) I've found my money winner. Exactly. So, Peter Pan is such a huge financial hit. They're like, all right, let's follow it up with something else. Let's really commit to this Lady and the Tramp idea. Mm -hmm. Work on it really starts kind of getting off the ground in 1953. And Walt is very excited by CinemaScope. CinemaScope, we've talked about before, was kind of the first or one of the first major implementations of widescreen which is something i'd noticed when watching this movie i was like it's in widescreen are we watching some bad restoration have they like changed this but no it was in fact the first disney widescreen film i didn't even notice i don't even pay attention anymore to whether something is widescreen or not sure i only notice if it's been stretched weird yes. so like if it's something full frame that's been stretched weird or if it's the wrong aspect ratio that's yeah i noticed that make my music yeah but i don't pay attention anymore to what aspect ratio the movie's actually in Fair which enough. is kind of funny this was a huge hassle walt basically he he saw the robe which is this biblical epic from 20th century fox that mm. i don't think exists anymore no it, it still comes on tcm every once in a while especially around easter oh. 
You ever seen it? No, I don't think I've watched it. It's one of those that's like five hours long, it feels like, or looks like. I don't know how long it is, really, but it's one of those epics. I see. Anyway, it was a huge hit, and Walt saw it, and he was like, oh, yeah, this is the future of cinema, which he was right about. That's right. I mean, he was right, yeah. That was a correct estimation. So this was the first animated feature filmed in widescreen, period. Mm-hmm. And it caused a lot of stress because now animators basically had to completely relearn their craft. Yeah, I was reading about that, how instead of the anim, they have to know, okay, we're going to have to move the camera to follow the action. It's like we actually have enough space with the widescreen. We don't have to move the camera, but now the characters look too small, stuff like that. They actually had to rethink it. And then, of course, not all the theaters had CinemaScope as an option like you couldn't they couldn't actually show it so then they had to they had to do a version designed for full frame theaters <laughs> they worked on this for a full year and then in 54 Walt you know was preparing the movie to release in 55 obviously again 2 years ahead they yeah. were planning to release this thing so like they were married to the date more or less and Walt realized that a lot of theaters as you say would not have the technology yet to show mm. films in CinemaScope. So now the team had to create two different versions of Lady and the Tramp. Right. One drawn in CinemaScope and one drawn in Academy Ratio, <laughs> which is nuts. Yeah. They chopped as many scenes as they could. They just chopped off the sides. Yes. But a lot of them actually had to be redrawn. To make it work. Which truly is insane. Right. But they were correct at least this time, unlike... Fanta sound or whatever that was for Fantasia that did not stick around. (laughs) That is true. But at the same time, Fanta sound was, as we talked about, one of the first surround sounds. And he was like, so he was right that surround sound would be a thing. Yeah. It was just too early in that case. (laughs) So they studied dogs. The animators did, you know, they were studying all kinds of dogs of different breeds. It was like Bambi where they had dogs around and they were trying to get their movements right, which I do think this film nails. Yeah. Frank Thomas, who we talked about last week because he was the animator who ended up getting to animate Captain Hook. Mm -hmm. He was one of the nine old men. The spaghetti eating sequence, by far the most famous scene in the movie, was in the script. Walt wanted to cut it. He was like, this is not going to be romantic. It's two (laughs) dogs eating spaghetti. This is a stupid idea. (laughs) And Frank Thomas was like, no, I think it's a great idea. So he animated the entire scene himself without any help. Yeah. And showed it to Walt. And Walt was like, oh, you nailed it. (laughs) What he animated is not what you see in the finished product, but... Mm-hmm. He single-handedly animated to prove that it would work. And obviously, again, it does. by far the most famous scene from the movie, right. clearly successful. A lot of the movie was based on Walt's own childhood with an asterisk. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Walt loved dogs. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody knows, or anybody who's listening to this podcast probably knows, Walt Disney loved dogs, <laughs> loved trains, yep. loved dogs on trains. <laughs> Trains on dogs, not so much. (laughs) I'm surprised there aren't any movies that are, like, about trains. You know, you'd think Thomas the Tank Engine would be right up his alley. Right. But it wasn't a thing back when he was alive. But you know what I mean, right? You kind of feel like he should have invented that. 
Right. I mean, we get like Dumbo, we get Bongo. Yeah. There's trains around, but you're right. There's, there's no movie about a train. Complete digression. So the reason I say it's an asterisk, yes, a lot of it is inspired by his hometown of Marceline, Missouri. It's set in the 1910s-ish. I saw 1909. Which, of course, was when Walt was a kid. You know, it's it's kind of a nostalgia trip for him. But the asterisk is, so Joe Grant left before the movie came out. Remember him? He had right. the actual dog lady. And so they just cut him out of everything. They don't give him any credit in the film, and they try right. to bury his involvement. One example of this is Walt claimed that lady being in a hat box at the beginning of the movie right as a gift mm -hmm. uh which is wild and we'll talk about that during the press tour walt said that this was uh, a real thing he did when he presented his wife lillian a puppy as a gift inside a hat box as an apology present for missing a dinner date uh-huh which if it was true would also be wild imagine missing <laughs> a date and being like here a chore for years <laughs> Yeah, but most people don't look on pets as a chore. Look, again, love pets, love animals, <laughs> pro-animal podcast, but it's still like, I don't know, they were probably well off enough it didn't matter, but <laughs> I feel like for a lot of people, you can't just spring a dog on somebody like surprise, <laughs> a large responsibility and expense. No matter how much they love dogs, yeah. you gotta be ready for that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, but a lot of historians think that this didn't happen and that, in fact, he was just making this up to be like, yes, this was my idea, not mm -hmm. Joe Grant's, whoever that is. Yeah. Which is disappointing. Yep. But in 1989, other animators and people at Disney kind of tried to be like, no, this was Joe Grant's idea. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a mini documentary about it released with the... 2006 DVD release, and, and Grant would actually come back to Disney during the Renaissance. He worked on Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, and Mulan. Interesting. Before he died at 86. Chicken Little is dedicated to him, which is very disappointing, but so <laughs> is Up. So is Up, though. Ah. So, there you, so he got that one. That's funny. Like with all these movies, there were lots of different versions of the story. The one that I need to talk about... <laughs> is there was a version where there was going to be a love triangle between Lady, mm -hmm. Tramp, and Boris, <laughs> the communist Borzoi, who <sighs> is still in the movie, in the in the pound. That's funny. We'll talk about Boris, the communist Borzoi, but um, <laughs> just... <laughs> what would that... That's a, that sounds so bad. That's I presume strange. he would have been... One of the other, like, pets, pet dogs, not not one of the stray dogs, as he is in this. I have no further information for you, unfortunately. The only idea I can think of that would work is if she had basically two suitors, one who's, you know, part of her class, basically, and the other one who's the tramp. Maybe. Love triangles are just always bad, or almost <laughs> always. Like, 99.99% of the time, it's annoying. At least they didn't go with that. Right. There's a lot of stuff about the animation, how they tried to keep it at dog's eye level. Which I think they succeeded pretty well at. Yes, I, I do like that detail. We can talk about it when we talk about the movie. Mm -hmm. And of course, the voice cast. You know I gotta talk about the voice cast. There's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people worth talking about here. Barbara Luddy 
This is her first appearance in a Disney movie. One of the best, I think one of our favorite of the Disney studio at this time. She would also be Meriwether in Sleeping Beauty, Rover mm-hmm. in 101 Dalmatians, Kanga in the Winnie the Pooh shorts. She's a couple characters in Robin Hood. Yeah. She's great. Yep, very good. Bill Thompson, Smee, is back as Jock. And many more. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Uh, he's also the assistant Italian stereotype. Uh, he's Bull the Bulldog. He's Doxy, a Dachshund. He's a policeman. Yeah. We have Verna Felton back as well. The yes. The fairy godmother herself is Aunt Sarah. Yep. In her least sympathetic role. <laughs> We have Stan Freeberg as the beaver, a character who Wikipedia hilariously says served as the inspiration for Gopher from Winnie the Pooh and not is the same character. It's a different voice actor in Go- as Gopher for Winnie the Pooh. I did not know that. Yeah, I looked it up because we thought it was the same guy, but it's actually a different guy who decided to make Gopher sound like this beaver. And he did. One thing that's interesting is that Stan did a lot of the whistles for the beaver himself, but also had to use an actual whistle. Because (laughs) after doing so many takes, he couldn't keep doing it. I bet. And of course, the most important performance in the movie is that of Peggy Lee. Yes. Who plays the human darling, the dog Peg, and the two Siamese cats, who we'll talk about. She was white, notably. She also co-wrote all of the original songs for the film. Yep. Including all the ones she performed. Mm -hmm. And she also, in 87, when this movie was released on VHS, we talked about this previously, how a lot of the, you know, actors and singers, home video release had not been included in their contracts Mm because it wasn't a thing yet. And so she was one of the ones who wanted to get performance and song royalties on the video sales and then ended up suing Disney and she won. She got $2.3 million for breach of contract, 500000 for unjust enrichment, 600000 for illegal use of her voice, and 400000 for illegal use of her name. <laughs> so she made out like a bandit. Yep. And good for her. Yep. I think every time we talk about somebody suing Disney, I'm like, good for them. But you know what? Good for them. They usually win. <laughs> no, also, they're usually right. Like, yeah, that's why they usually win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course, there were other actors, but those are... Those are the ones I really wanted to talk about. So the movie came out, critical failure. People hated it. Uh, Critics hated it, I should say. Not people, because uh, (laughs) it made, holy crap, a ton of money. Yeah. It made more money than any other Disney animated feature, except Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which at this time is still the biggest hit, I think, because, you know, it was still the first one. So it was the most exciting. Everyone had to go see it. Right. But they still made a ton of money, They re-released it in theaters several times. Every time it made a ton of money. Apparently people like the the sweet little movie. (laughs) Yeah, apparently people like a movie about cute dogs in love. (laughs) I don't think it's that complicated. People like all of those things. Yep. But what's interesting is that even though, you know, critics didn't like it at the time, by and large, obviously, there are always exceptions. Mm Mm-hmm. It is now beloved by a lot of critics. It was Mm -hmm. ranked number 95 in the American Film Institute's 100 Greatest Love Stories of All Time. It was one of only two animated films on the list, the other being Disney's Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) And Time called it one of the 25 all-time best animated films, which 
I feel like that's a swing too far in the other direction. I think you'll agree. Yeah. I read a lot of critical writing talking about, like, this is one of the best love stories in cinema. And I, mm. I, I don't know about that. Here's the thing. Like a lot of Disney movies, I feel like, don't think too hard about the love story. <laughs> right? Because... It feels like they kind of fall apart a, le- a little bit. I don't know if you want me to go into detail. Go ahead. Yeah. Tramp is the first dog of her age that Lady meets. True. And I guess it actually, you can kind of see more why Lady falls for Tramp than you can see why he falls for her. Correct. But still, it's like, it's like one of the Disney princesses falling in love with the prince, like immediately, right? Right. It's kind of what it feels like a little bit. There's a little more, at least, they spend more time together than a single dance looking at you, Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> they do spend a whole day, at least, hanging out um, when she escapes. But still, it's like, yes, they kind of give it, well, he likes the women and, you know, yes. maybe someday he'll find one he wants to protect. But they just don't really explain why it's her. You know, it just is. It just is her. She's the one. Right. right. For I no agree. real reason. They basically just expect that the, like, spaghetti scene, the Bella Notte scene, is, is so good that it will trick you into thinking it's a good relationship. And it works. Like, <laughs> clearly, clearly that gambit paid off. It's true. But I, no, I agree. Like a lot of Disney relationships, there's no complexity to this one. This is right. not two characters... You know, doing the thorny, complicated work of building a relationship. <laughs> this is the main female character. This is the male, <laughs> main male character. They will be in love now. And you're like, yeah, I've seen a movie. Yep. <laughs> Obviously, this is a very common, simple idea of like, you know, oh, he's a scoundrel. She's rich. Yeah. They fall in love. Like, <laughs> how, many, how many, even at this point, even in 55, how many movies had come out with that exact premise? I <laughs> know, it's true. This is technically the first Disney original story. Yes. Like this movie was not really based on some other book or whatever. This was their own original content, basically. Not counting, of course, the wartime era films that had some shorts that were totally original. Right. This is a full length, the first full length movie based only on their own content. And yet it feels like this story is the one you've seen a million times. Yes, I agree. I would even say, I was thinking about the fact that this is a very similar relationship dynamic to Tangled. Yeah. And I think it's much better in Tangled. Like, Mm -hmm. they do more of the work, as you say, to show why he likes her, why Mm -hmm. she likes him. They're they're much more realized characters. Right. Which, you know, the movies are trying to do different things, and they came out in very different times. But even among Disney versions of this story, (laughs) there's another one I like better. Yeah. I'll be curious to compare it with the Aristocats. I don't remember the Aristocats at all. Like, I've seen it once, I think. (laughs) The love story is a similar idea. There you go. Some might say copy. (laughs) But uh, we'll get to that. Yep. And that's all I have to say about this movie. The end. We're done. (laughs) No, now we have to talk about the movie. That's true. That's all I have to say before the synopsis, which is what we're going to do now. Yep. It starts off with the Buena Vista logo for the first time. No more RKO. R.I.P. <laughs> RKO was effectively gone at this time. It had been acquired by the General Tire and Rubber Company this year. <laughs> and it would uh, officially dissolve four years later. So once again, during the credits, the song is 
not a title song, so it doesn't have the title in the song, but it's Bella Note that they play during the credits. So basically they've gotten into, starting with Peter Pan, now they're taking a song from the movie and just putting it over the opening credits, as opposed to the previous movies. And this movie is dedicated to dogs. It is. All dogs everywhere. They do not care that they have a movie dedicated to them. <laughs> and then it's a Christmas movie. It is. It starts out at Christmas time. There's this song, Peace on Earth, which is not a... Uh, it's a song written for this movie, but it sounds like a Christmas carol that you could hear anywhere. Yes. I don't think you do, but it could be. <laughs> and so the two characters, the human characters, are named Jim Deer and Darling because that is what Lady thinks their names are. Not that we've met Lady quite yet. Yes, but that was the reason for those names, which yeah. is a cute idea. I mean, it we is. talked about we talked about this with Dumbo as well, how good that movie is at like putting you in the animal's perspective. Uh-huh. This movie does that too. I would say maybe... Not quite as effective. Like, I prefer the Dumbo approach because I think I just prefer Dumbo as a movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it's the same idea. And Lady is indeed in a hat box with no holes poked in it. <laughs> it's a very... We we both had to comment on it when we saw it because yeah. we were like, this is strange. Well, maybe you just hat had a hat box sealed up. <laughs> well, maybe hat boxes aren't very uh, airtight. I don't know. Have you ever had a hat box? No. Have I ever had a hat box? No. Sure. That's not a thing we do these days. Uh, here's what I do know. Lady, baby lady is uh, incredibly cute. Oh, she is so cute. This is the first instance of possibly your favorite Disney film trope, which is when you start with the baby version of the character. <laughs> there you go. I do like that. Such as baby Dory in Finding Dory and baby Moana in Moana. Yep. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's very cute. Yep. And so she keeps running out of bed. They want her to stay downstairs. They want her to sleep in the kitchen and she just wants to stay with them. She spends the whole night basically trying to get out of the room and, <laughs> you know, moving the barricade on the door. And eventually she gets up to the bed and Jim Deere's like, all right, just for tonight. Yep. And then, of course, you have a time passing moment where you see she's much older and still sleeping in the bed with them. <laughs> right. Which is what I've heard is that, like, once dog becomes bed dog, they are that forever. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. If you don't want bed dog, you have to be really firm. <laughs> and then she encounters the scariest rat that has ever been in every movie, which I wrote oh, down yeah. like evil rat. Yeah. And I thought that was the end. I forgot that evil rat returns <laughs> in Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> it's funny that you forgot about the rat completely. It is. It is. <laughs> Very strange that I forgot. Because again, all the rest of this movie, I was like, oh, yes, this scene. Yes, mm -hmm, this scene. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. You know, remember it very well. <laughs> I forgot that evil rat with scary eyes is the villain of this film. Yep. So basically, we, we get to see Lady's kind of daily routine that she's going through mm -hmm. on this day where she, you know, fetches the paper, chases the rat, all these different things she does throughout the day. We find out she's six months old, which means she's old enough to get her collar and her license. Darling is like, go show your friends, Jock and Trusty, mm -hmm. who are, of course, other dogs. Yep. I don't think we get dogs talking before this, right? Starts now? Um, yes, because Lady doesn't have anyone to talk to. She doesn't talk to herself, unlike the female protagonist of the last two movies. <laughs> yes, it's true. And she doesn't talk to Lady or Jim Deer, even if they can't understand her. 
She just makes bark noises. I never really thought about that, but you are completely correct. The first dog who speaks is Jock because he's singing a little song to himself as he's burying his bone, which I always liked. I thought that was very funny. I did. I thought about doing that for the podcast song, but I couldn't (laughs) not do what I did. Yep. Jock is... I think one of my favorite characters. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's just he's just so funny. His his whole character design amuses me greatly. Well, he's a of course, he's a Scottish terrier and so he has a quote unquote Scottish accent. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> it's, just... it's just the 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 funny things they do with him when he's talking, they make his the the voice actor makes a lot of his talking very like barking. Yes. And I just love that and the way he is so small, but so uh, intense. But that's the way little dogs are. Exactly. And Scottish Terriers specifically, they are like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are they are small, but they want to be a big dog. It's, <laughs> it's great. And no, yeah, Jock is, Jock is a very successful character. And I like his little song about burying his bones. And, and his bunny bunny bank in the backyard. Sorry, yard. Right, that is what I was going to say. (laughs) His accent is pretty good. The one thing about it that is very strange is the rolling of all of his R's, like to an excessive degree. Mm. Every R of every word that has an R, which I don't think is (laughs) correct. And of course, this is kind of the bit of this movie, right? Like this is a movie that is about stereotypes a lot of the humor comes from what if dog from x region behaved like the very stereotypical version of person from that region yeah and even when it's not the dogs themselves we get you know the italian guys (laughs) who will get to papa john and pizza (laughs) hut or whoever yeah basically their their name or their breed kind of describes who they are right so of course then lady and jock have to go show trusty the license as well i kind of like trusty you know i'm yeah. like let, let's have a fight i'm gonna decide here that i like trusty more than jock <laughs> that's fine i'm not gonna I'm fight. going to attack you but you can like trusty better and i can like jock better and it's fine i mean i like this accent the southern drawl but i really like his joke that he does here he chases a caterpillar for a little bit he's lost his sense of smell Yeah, apparently he used to track criminals in the swamps with his grandpappy, Old Reliable. Yes, this is such a stupid joke, but I love it. It works for me every time. Just, did I ever mention Old Reliable? (laughs) Yes, you have, laddie. Right, and of course he talks about Old Reliable constantly. Yeah, he does. And Jock is always like, yes, I'm so sick of hearing about him. He doesn't say that, but you can tell that's what he thinks. And he never gets to what Old Reliable has actually said or done because right. he always starts talking about him and then goes, did I by any chance ever happen to mention Old Reliable? <laughs> I like old dogs yeah, the best. Yeah, he's funny. And he is an old dog. I, is. Old dogs who just don't care anymore. <laughs> They're like, my life is one long nap, briefly interrupted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is the first moment I noticed then right after this where we actually see Jim Deere's face because mm-hmm. he bends down to open the door. And I was like, whoa, you actually see his face because I <laughs> thought that they were just going to be, you know, 
faceless the whole time. You actually see Jim Deere and Darling's faces very briefly at the beginning as well when he's giving her the puppy. Right. You see them. You actually do see their faces kind of mostly in profile, but they're there. All Jim Deere and Darling ever talk about, which maybe this is supposed to be, you know, we're seeing everything from Lady's perspective. It seems like all they talk about up to this point is Lady the dog. <laughs> yeah. That she she only listens maybe when they're talking about her. <laughs> and so they're, you know, what a great family. What great friends. It's all very sweet. Mm-hmm. And then we meet the tramp who sleeps in a barrel. We've like skipped a little bit of time, maybe a month or so, not a lot of time, but now we're seeing Tramp's morning routine. Like we saw Lady's routine. Now we're seeing Tramp's daily routine. Yes. Sleeps in a barrel in the train yard. Goes and begs at the Italian restaurant. Gets a bone. Of course, the very authentic Italian is like, hey, unlimited breadsticks. Hey, Super Mario Brothers. Hey, pizza. Tony and Joe. Tony's Italian restaurant and his assistant Joe, I guess. Hey, of course my name is a Tony. What what else right. would it be? It might as well be a Chico Marx. <laughs> I told you I was going to do a horrible Italian accent all over this episode. Yep. And I am. Yep. Everybody buckle up. Because <laughs> I think it's funny. We meet the dog catcher. Catching dogs. And here's where we discover... Tramp can apparently read. That's right. Because the dog catcher's posting a sign about how all dogs without collars or whatever licenses are going to be picked up by the pound. And Tramp reads the notice. Yep. Which I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So then he sees two of his friends, Peg and Bull. Bull. Yeah. The English bulldog. Yes. They never actually mentioned Bull's name, but his, his name is Bull. Yeah. And Peg, who's a... A Pekingese, I believe? Yes. He frees them from the dog pound wagon. The dog catcher chases Tramp into Lady's neighborhood. Which he calls Snob Hill. Yes. <laughs> and again, you know, this movie almost has something to say about class, but almost. doesn't actually. Yeah. But like some of Tramp's, you know, motivations and like, I don't ever want to have a collar could kind of be interpreted as like, Class criticism, but again, not really. <laughs> yeah, they don't really go into it. And I don't think anyone making the movie really was thinking about that too much. Nah. Well, I say that. <laughs> we will get to Boris the Communist Borzoi. I don't think anyone in charge of the movie was thinking about it. Let me put it that way. Yep. So Jock and Trusty go visiting Lady, and Lady is kind of sad, and she's confused because Jim Deere and Darling have been acting so strangely lately. And she thinks she's done something wrong. That's very interesting. Did I ever tell you about old reliable? <laughs> but after she describes the behavior, then we have mom status expecting. Darling is gonna have a baby. And of course, she doesn't even know what a baby is, so they have to try to explain it to her. And I will say, Larry Roberts, who plays Tramp, not a, an actor of any particular note, but does a good job. And this is his first really big scene. I mean, obviously he's been doing stuff, but this is where this he is really to, yeah. gets to monologue. This is the voice actor's big scene, let me say, the first right. of his, you know, where you really get to see his performance, where he gives the whole speech that summarized is him going, when a baby moves in, a dog moves out. Yep. Babies are home wreckers. That's not how he says it. <laughs> Babies are home wreckers. Did I ever tell you about, I, this is how I will say the tramp talks now. <laughs> 
He does not. I ever tell you about my grandpappy old unreliable? Because he was a tramp, you see. <laughs> yes, I do like how he's doing the up high voice, you know. Stop that racket, you'll wake the baby. <laughs> yes. No, he's having a lot of fun and it's it's a great it you know, is. animated performance as well. Like, this is the thing about these Silver Era movies is it almost feels like a trite observation to be like, and obviously this is one of the best looking films <laughs> Yeah, even on Disney Plus, it still looked really good. So maybe they haven't had to fiddle with that one as much for some reason. Correct. This is inarguably the best of the Blu-ray restorations, assuming that's all what's on Disney Plus, which I think it is, that we have seen so far. The the yeah. Disney Plus version of this looked great. I'm sure the, you know, truest of diehard Disney fans can point out the things that were different. But there was nothing about this mm-hmm. that stood out to me or looked bad right it all looked good the colors the colors still looked rich nothing looked flat Mm -hmm. and nothing looked wrong in the colors right so whatever changes they made at least it's not like alice in wonderland where you're like wow this truly looks awful yeah and then we have kind of a montage of of pregnancy yeah seeing the next nine ish months yep the baby's being due in April. They just circle the month. I like that he's dreaming of a boy and she's dreaming of a girl. <laughs> and there's a there's a cravings joke. Yep. There's a totally a cravings joke where she's sending him out in the snow to get watermelon. It's watermelon and chop suey. Yep. Which that just shows you how stale those jokes are. <laughs> Do you have any yeah. weird cravings during pregnancy? Not like that, no. I ate a ton of bagels when I was pregnant with you. Well, that just that just <laughs> sounds like a good, fun thing to do. It was about all I could keep down. Yes, I was a very unpleasant pregnancy. Yep. But not as unpleasant as my life! Uh, <laughs> so, another big laugh here. I mean, up here with the old reliable joke. So there's a baby shower. Yep. And, you know, the women are all having a baby shower, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Mom's status. Like, oh, you're, you're glowing. Yes. It just looks so wonderful. And then they go to the other room where all the men are gathered. Jim, you look terrible. You've never looked worse. <laughs> the doctor's never lost a father yet. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely laughed. It's funny yeah. how they're just being so mean to him. Yep. Even though it is uh... like that, you know, what my generation calls boomer humor, although this is obviously <laughs> pre-boomer. It is but definitely. Like, but it's it's that, uh, you know, like, ah, having a family is awful, isn't it? But <laughs> it's just the dichotomy of it works so well because it is just lady walks next door and immediately it's like, Jim, you suck. Mm-hmm. It's a good joke. It is a good joke. And then it is a boy. We had to comment on the star nursers. Oh, the star nurser. You're right. Weird test tubes for for formula. Mm-hmm. So the on the next morning, basically that after the baby's been born, you see like all the diapers on the line, and you see the bottles, and they look like flasks, test tube flasks, kind of. You know, they don't Which, look like bottles shaped. Yes, and they say star nurser on them because these were a real thing. Yeah, I bet these were. Invented in uh, 1894. I So I like, you know, the, the realistic detail there. Again, it shows that this is a more nostalgic movie. Yep. But it, it also just looks very funny because to us, because <laughs> this is not the type of bottle we're used to where it's, you know, it's a graduated cylinder. <laughs> and we have a an, an next song here. 
where Lady is going, what is a baby? So it's basically two songs as one. Mm. And Darling actually has Lady come over and basically meet the baby. Yep. She does not immediately. The baby comes in, the dog goes out. <laughs> the The music in this movie, some of it's very good. Mm-hmm. Some of it less so, yep. in my opinion. Like, the next movie is where they would get George Bruns, who, of course elevates it to a whole other level Mm -hmm. anyway what i'm saying is i don't really care about these songs (laughs) some more time passes i don't we don't know how much maybe a a month or two jim deere and darling are gonna take a small trip and leave the baby (laughs) isaac was worried (laughs) i wasn't they just take a long time where they're just talking about like well we're going to leave the baby are you sure oh don't worry it'll be fine (laughs) <laughs> like, they're saying it's going to be fine on its own, and I'm like, I need an update on the babysitter situation, because you cannot leave a baby alone for three days. It's not how that works. Aunt Sarah uh, but of course, is coming to babysit. Yes. And Aunt Sarah is a cat person, not a dog person. She does not want Lady near the baby. She's yes. very happy to see the baby, and... She's like, no, no dogs near the baby. That's not right. Originally, she was going to be much more of an active and malicious villain. Yeah. Um, And she was also apparently going to be basically the stereotypical mother-in-law, which sounds terrible. Yeah. But they they soften her a bit, you know. She's cruel to lady. Mm -hmm. But but not so much so that you're like, this is just, this is not Cruella DeVille. Correct. Yeah. She's not a terrible person necessarily, but she does not like dogs. She Mm -hmm. is a cat person. And we know this because she has two cats. Two Siamese cats. So we got to talk about this scene. It's uh, Mm -hmm. bad. It's Mm -hmm. probably... Well, okay. I mean, it's good in the sense that, like, it's clever animation and kind of a clever song. But it's very racist. The cats are animated in a very racist way they speak in an incredibly racist way yeah they cause trouble and are like they're colonizing ladies home (laughs) which is significant of course whenever we encounter something like this that is insulting to a particular culture include some articles in the description there are not a lot about this one because there really isn't much to say it's just like Look at it. Yeah. It's clearly racist with a modern eye. Yeah. But I do have a wonderful article I greatly enjoyed reading by Marcus Hunter for Flavorwire, who uh, writes about the history of Siamese cats and the history of Siamese cats in media. The article, The Code Behind the Kitty Unpacking the Racist Myth of the Siamese Cat, hmm. and does talk about this movie in particular and how it ties into Asian stereotypes of the time. Of course, anti-Asian hatred was... I don't know if you could say it was at a peak because unfortunately it's rising again. But obviously, you know, we had just had the Japanese internment camps. We just had a war with Japan. And Americans at this time believed, as some Americans still do, that all Asia was the same. Yeah. So even though, you know, Siam and Siamese cats, that would be Thailand. To them, you know, Thailand, China, Japan, it is all the same and it is all the enemy. So it certainly was somewhat racist in intent at the time. And again, this is a movie full of stereotypes. Right. That's exactly what's going on with all the animals in this movie, except the rat. Correct. And I'm not here to defend this scene at all. But the scenes that are very uncomfortable to us through a modern lens, at least uncomfortable to me, are one, obviously this one. Mm -hmm. And then two, later on, there is a chihuahua who is a Mexican stereotype, who has one or two lines where it's like, oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) 
the one thing I just want to note is that, like, these things stand out to us now because, of course, it's all about power. And we live in a white supremacist society, so white people have the power. Mm -hmm. Non-white people have less power. So, of course, those are the stereotypes that make us uncomfortable, whereas the stereotypes of white people don't. Yeah, right? right. Because making fun of Italians, okay, Italians hold no marginalized class in our society, so... It's okay to make fun of them, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't, at least it doesn't affect us the same way. Yeah. But, you know, it should be noted that the definition of who was and wasn't white has changed a lot. Be Correct. Because it's something that we made up. It's not a real, actual distinction between people, and it never has been. Yeah. Whiteness is just used to be a definition of who has power and who doesn't. And so, mm, vaguely at the time of this movie... You know, Irish people would not have been seen universally as white. Italian people certainly mm -hmm. wouldn't have been seen universally as white. Right. So, you know, those stereotypes being at the movie would also have been seen as potentially non-white stereotypes at the time and stereotypes of more marginalized people. Not, again, that I think anyone working at Disney cared. <laughs> Nor were they likely to be doing it maliciously. They were just, hey, this is right. funny. Yes, that was literally it. Just stereotypes are funny. Right, exactly. Again, I'm not defending anything. I'm just pointing out that, yes, of course, looking at these with a different eye, a different cultural context changes the way you see these things. Not mm -hmm. just because, like, we have, you know, obviously we care more about mm -hmm. racism now, hopefully. We're trying to be more aware of racism wherever we come across it, even in things that are 65 years old. <laughs> Correct. But also because, you know, the nature of racism itself changes because it's all about power right. and who's in power and who do they want to share their power with. Mm -hmm. Nobody really, but you know. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I wanted to say though, of course, is that we've talked about with these movies, how like so many of the people making these movies were immigrants or at least the people involved with them. We've talked about some of the Irish and Italian immigrants working on this mm -hmm. versus not a lot of Asian people working at Disney. Not none, because of course we talked about a notable example with Bambi, mm -hmm. although he didn't work on this movie at all. So it's, it's different when you're kind of poking fun at your own culture. Right. And I do think even for the time, certainly the Siamese cat scene is much more malicious towards the characters in it, right? Because right? they're like actively villains. They can't yeah, speak. They are the villains basically of the piece. There are several, right. you could say, you know, kind of antagonists aunt sarah's kind of the rat the siamese cats but whenever they do you know disney villain things like at the parks or whatever it's the siamese cats that are included as opposed to even you know some of the others like the rat doesn't have a character it's a <laughs> rat and aunt sarah is not really evil but the Siamese cats are because their whole deal is they run around the house breaking things and getting into trouble and trying to eat the fish and the bird. And then they try to get Lady in trouble because when Aunt Sarah comes down to find out what's going on, they lie on the ground like they've been hurt. Oh, bad dog has hurt my poor little babies, mm -hmm. which takes us into the next scene which i don't know if you're ready to go there yet but <laughs> i'm basically ready the one thing i'll say is that again this this article i linked to the marcus hunter article mm -hmm. talks about how siam which again is is now thailand right siam was the only asian nation that was never formally colonized by any colonial power interesting asian european or otherwise and so they kind of have this perception of being like 
uh, amongst racists <laughs> so being you know oh they were more aggressive because we couldn't conquer them ah or colonize them so that like kind of ties into the scene whether intentional or not that's a big question mark mm-hmm. but it ties into this history of this type of portrayal I anyway see. read that but yes lady is blamed for this so they have to go get a muzzle from not edwin <laughs> yes this guy is Seems like he's trying to sound like Edwin, but he is not. I know Edwin. Edwin is a personal friend of mine, and you, (laughs) sir, I know Edwin. (laughs) But Lady is not into the getting the muzzle, and after they get the muzzle on her, she runs off. And she's attacked by wolves or giant vicious dog. (laughs) One of them does look like a wolf to me. It's a pack of stray dogs she's being chased by and kind of trying to attack her. But Tramp arrives and fights off the pack of strays to protect her, which is enough to turn any sheltered girl's head. (laughs) Basically, I think he just gets it. And this is, by the way, pretty much halfway through the movie. Mm -hmm. What you think of as like the journey of the film. Is only half of it. <laughs> All the prior half is table setting and the stuff with the baby. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense, you know, if you know the production history of, well, this started as just a story about Lady and the baby and yeah. then they add the tramp in. Yeah. But it's also interesting because apparently it was supposed to be a comedy of like Lady versus the baby and there would be comedy in their rivalry. Uh-huh. Don't really get into that. No. Nah, there really isn't any rivalry between Lady and the baby. The main comedy in this opening section is either Jock and Trusty or <laughs> the the humans. Again, like the cravings right. joke and the baby shower joke. It's just interesting. Mm-hmm. So yes, they're going to go to the zoo to get this muzzle off of her. They con a cop. Yeah, because no dogs are allowed in the zoo and even Lady can read that sign. Yes. Whatever. I'm just, I, Which is, this is the first time I really noticed the whole dogs can read thing. And I, I never really paid attention to it before, but they can. And it's weird. They can also execute a con. Right. So. They totally can. Tramp executes a con on the cops so they can sneak into the zoo. Which I do enjoy. Like It is very funny. Dog con artist is just an appealing idea. <laughs> and one that they would return to for Oliver and Company. Yep. A lot of dog movies. A lot of dog movies. And a lot of uh, movies ripping off this movie (laughs) or pieces of this movie. You're taking inspiration from it. Almost like it made a ton of money. Right. You think maybe people like dogs? (laughs) And it's basically universally beloved. Yeah. I wonder if we'll watch Bolt and we'll be like, oh, wow, this also (laughs) takes from the Lady and the Tramp. I don't know. I don't think either of us remembers anything about Bolt, even though we've both seen it. I have only the vaguest memories of Bolt. We'll talk about it. We'll watch it. Yep. Then we'll know. So I I like this con of the cop and then they also uh, con a beaver. Yes. Where they they convince him that the muzzle is a log puller. And what's fun about this is Lady getting in on the con. Yep. She says, it's a free sample. She figures out what he's doing and is trying to help out. They do give you enough of that. You know, they do give you like showing that the tramp is a hero at the beginning, as you say. Uh Showing that Lady... Is not just like, oh, how could you lie to someone? Yeah, but yeah, is yeah. Clearly enjoying it herself. And then, of course, it's nice that the log puller muzzle actually works the way they say it will because the beaver is able to get the log into the water for his dam. <laughs> and of course, he has the silly whistling voice because of his big yes. teeth, which is, I presume, why the decided gopher would also have the silly whistle voice. Not even going to try to imitate that one? No, I briefly <laughs> thought about it. Too hard. Well, he's not in the book, you know. 
Yep. Trim's talking about how he has families, but none of them have him. And he has a different family for every day of the week. And this is where we get the Irish accent and the German accent. And yeah. He's doing little accents. Because, of course, he's a mix, so he can... Yeah, he's a mutt, so he does all of them. (laughs) After that, we get to, of course, as we've talked about, uh, the most famous scene of the movie. Bada bing, bada boom. The spaghetti scene. Spaghetti scene. (laughs) I know so many people have talked about this, and there have been so many jokes about it, but it is still funny how much... Tony, the owner of Tony's Italian restaurant, is invested <laughs> in dog romance. Yes. They call him Butch, by the way. They call Tramp Butch. By the way, Tony is played by George Givote, who was uh, Russian. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Russian-born American immigrant. That's funny. Who was known for doing a funny accent of a Greek person. <laughs> Who is in this doing an Italian accent? Whatever. This really was. I was telling somebody about this in a, in a different context recently. Like at this time in the sixties, especially if you were one type of ethnic, you were just all types of ethnic. Yeah. I remember now. I was talking to somebody about this because I've been watching classic Star Trek, and I was talking about how like Khan Noonan Singh is played by a Mexican actor because they were just like, ah, oh, he's brownish. <laughs> but yes, uh, of course, Tony. The man who is incredibly invested in two dogs getting married. <laughs> yeah, you feel like their restaurant must be very dead tonight because both Tony and Joe spend their whole time getting the spaghetti and they set up a little table with a candle and everything. We ordered breadsticks two hours ago. I distantly hear the sound of music. What is going on? Because, <laughs> of course, they sing the Bella Note song for lady and tramp it is a good song it is a good moment it's really funny it is and it's it's you can definitely see it it is a romantic moment Mm -hmm. the song is beautiful they're eating the spaghetti the stars they're in a back alley but you don't even see that you don't think about it right right the skies have stars in their eyes and lady has stars in her eyes the single piece of spaghetti with they're both eating and then they sort of kiss and lady's like bashful turns her head it's so sweet every moment of that scene is just like mm-hmm. imprinted on my brain and i'm sure yours too yep. because you just did it like you just mimed the head turn and everything and then tramp noses over the last meatball that she can have it 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 is the brilliance <laughs> of frank thomas like he just yes, nailed it he did he nailed it so so good it's a very strange premise but for some reason <laughs> somehow were. it works when no part of it should. Yeah. It's two dogs kissing while eating spaghetti while the two strangest men in the city <laughs> sing to them yeah. in <laughs> ridiculous Italian accents in an alley. And for some reason, mm. people are like, including us, are like, yep, romance. It works. <laughs> That's <Yep>. romance. <laughs> yep. it, it's incredible. And then the chorus continues to sing the song as Lady and Tramp go walking like in the park or something. I always like when a couple walks in a park in a movie. Mm -hmm. It just, it always feels romantic. (laughs) Ah, the park. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This second, you know, not exactly reprise, but the the part of Bella Notte that is not sung by uh, the Mario Brothers. (laughs) That is the sleepy song TM. You and I both yawned. Yeah, we did. Unironically, because it was it was somewhat you know late at night. That's the middle of the movie. You know, go t- take a bathroom break or something. Now it's a sleepy <laughs> song. 
And then they wake up the next day. Yep. I quite like Tramp's speech where he's trying to explain life on the leash and he's trying to reveal to Lady like why it's why it appeals to him. You mean life off the leash. Life off the leash, thank you. Yes. The thing about this movie is that Lady especially, you know, we've talked about how both of these main characters are pretty thin. I feel like Lady is especially thin Mm -hmm. for the most part. She doesn't even get to talk as much. Most of her scenes are like Jock and Trusty are doing most of the talking or Tramp's doing most of the talking. Mm -hmm. She's surrounded by guys who love the sound of their own voice. It's true. Tramp is very talkative. But I do think Barbara Luddy, this great actor, finds a lot of, you know, humanity. <laughs> Maybe I should say internality yeah. in the character. And like, she just, I forget what it is, but you know, he has this whole big speech and she just has a fairly simple response. I can tell you what it is. She says, Go ahead. But who will take care of the baby? Yes. And with that one line, you kind of buy it. And yeah. I do attribute a lot of that to the performance more than the script because I do think Barbara Luddy has a real sensitivity in this movie and is able to kind of... She has this slightly childlike sense because mm-hmm. Lady is, you know, young and obviously not versed in the ways of the world outside her home at all. Right. But also this kind of slyness, again, with the with the con. Like, she does... I think bring a lot to this character. I really do. Yeah. And she, of course, just has this incredible voice. She does. Very good. It's not as showy as like Edwin or Sterling <laughs> Holloway, but there's something so unique about her voice that I don't even know if I can describe. It it almost sounds like she's talking in her cheeks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. She just works really well for Lady. <laughs> yes. But who would take care of the baby? She feels so her responsibility. You can tell she feels responsibility to her family. Yes. And she can't leave them because she loves them and she has to go back. And he accepts it. He's like, all right, I'll take you back. And that one line is the responsibility. It's the love for her family, yep. which of course is eventually what we are led to believe wins Tramp over. And it's that naive. Yeah sense of the world where it's genuinely like you know who will take care of the baby not realizing that two grown humans (laughs) pretty much got that one but yes you know on the way home tramp is like i've got an idea have you ever chased chickens let's do this it'll be fun and lady's like uh what i don't know about this Mm -hmm. that's kind of my least favorite scene it always feels like tacked on in a way It does a little bit. It's clearly just a way to get to the pound scene, which is very important. Tramp gets away, but Lady is caught by the dog catcher because, of course, she's not as experienced in running away. Yep. This, I think, is my favorite scene. I don't have Mm. a super clear favorite scene. I think probably, again, I I don't really either have a super favorite scene, but it's, I think my favorite scene may be the beginning where she's the puppy and trying to get to the bed. That whole situation is pretty funny. But again, it's hard to pick a favorite scene in this one for me. Yeah, because it is all kind of the same throughout. Yeah. But I, when I think of this movie, I always think first and foremost of the pound scene mm-hmm. of the he's a tramp song which i really liked and yep. i must say part of the reason i always think about he's a tramp vhs trailer oh the vhs trailer <laughs> specifically just the the line that i actually did at the beginning yeah. of the episode, which is he's a tramp 
he's a rover. It was literally <laughs> just that much. It cut off right at the word rover, that clip from the VHS trailer. That's funny. It is. At uh, the pound that starts off with the dogs howling, no place like home. The whimpering song. So funny. This I noted because it's the mellow men doing the voices yes. of the dogs in the pound. They have a lot of range because they're doing all howl sounds for no place like home and it's not the most annoying thing you've ever heard in your life it is not it's great speaking of the mellow men forgot to mention thorough ravenscroft yeah in addition to being in the mellow men plays the alligator who almost kills lady glad to oblige i can't even (laughs) he says glad to oblige in that deep voice that's in the basement right yeah the whimpering song and the the no place like home and then of course this is all a cover for digging yep the dachshund is trying to dig an escape tunnel (laughs) the dogs are teasing lady but peg comes over and defends her leave her alone of course boris the borzoi is is one of these singing dogs Mm -hmm. along with the mexican one and a couple couple others i don't remember yep I think Tuffy is one of them. He's a he's a mutt. Yeah, he's just uh, one of the random strays. Yes. He doesn't have a particular breed. He is a Brooklyn accent a bit like Peg, because yeah. I guess Brooklyn is just a, a metaphor for sin. <laughs> but this is where Boris the Borzoi quotes a communist play, <laughs> and we were speculating as to whether or not somebody was, was sneaking in Because obviously, you know, there's a lot of union sentiment and Mm -hmm. one would assume leftist sentiment around the studio at the time, even if it absolutely was not in leadership or in the very conservative Walt himself. So I would sort of love to know who managed to sneak in that reference. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, so Boris the communist Borzoi informs Lady that dogs have nothing to lose but their leashes. This time for the proletariat to rise up. No, he doesn't. No, do that. he just says miserable being must find more miserable being and then is happy. Yes. <laughs> Unquote. Also, I feel like if this was a trivia question, does a dog die in Lady and the Tramp? I think most people would get it wrong, but poor Nutsy is taking the long walk. Nutsy is going through the one way door. Mm-hmm. And we see the shadow of a dog who is taken out and killed for sure. Yep. 100%. Yep. They don't say it. Lady's like, you mean? And they're like, yep. Right. <laughs> dog murder is what happens in this scene. Yep. They do mention Tramp in this conversation. And she asks about Tramp, not saying she's met him. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, but even Tramp, who will never be caught by the dog catcher, has a weakness, the dames. Then we do get the He's a Tramp song, yep. which I love. The The joke is that Peg was in the uh, a Dog and Pony show. And <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, what do you call this? Kind of a lounge singer song, I guess. It's, yeah. it's a little sleazy, just a little bit. Yep, just a smidge. Not nearly as much as we'll get when we get to Great Mouse Detective. Yeah, I was, I was also <laughs> thinking of that. Uh, it is a good song. Obviously, Peggy Lee. A great singer, known as a singer, yep. sung with Benny Goodman's band and wrote this song and performs it extremely well. And and the other songs earlier, but this is her song. Like, yes. this, I feel like because she gave, they took her name for Peg, like Peg is her character, even if she also right. does Darling and sings for Lady. She's not the voice of Lady, but she sings for Lady. I love the animation in this sequence. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I love the animation in this whole movie, but like the spotlight <laughs> on Peg and her, you know, kind of 
dance hall movements and everything, despite being a dog. Yeah. Her hair, like her, like big bangs. Yes. You never think about in this movie, these are dogs and that's very strange. Yep. These dogs are <laughs> you, just people. You buy them as dogs and you buy them as anthropomorphized. Yep. 100%. Unlike something we'll talk about in sequel spin-offs. <laughs> yes. Lady gets taken out of the pound because, of course, she is a dog of privilege. She has her license and they basically look up her license call her owners they and i'm sure they end up calling aunt sarah aunt sarah comes and picks her up you don't actually see it but that's got to be what happens and takes her home what happens to the other dogs uh do boris and peg make it out of this movie alive (laughs) unclear unclear shockingly unclear there are signs on the pound that you can come and adopt these dogs so they could be adopted by other people, maybe at some point, but we don't know. It's a little surprising to me we don't get like the Finding Nemo scene of like the tunnel worked and they all broke out. <laughs> well, now what? Apparently they're referred to in the sequel, but I didn't watch that. So who knows? Who knows indeed? We'll talk about that too. Yep. And this is, I think, Barbara Luddy. Ladies actors, best scene here, which is okay. So, first, uh, Jock and Trusty show up and they're <laughs> like, One of us has to marry you so you can live with our family. And it's, it's strange. so and- funny, though. And she's like, Oh, that's very sweet of you, but no thanks. <laughs> but the, the scene that, where I think Barbara Luddy really gets to shine the most is when Tramp comes back and she tells him off. Yes. And that was what I was going to say. She loves, I love this scene where you can tell when they were talking in the pound about all the other girlfriends Tramp has had and how the women are his Achilles heel. She didn't understand everything they were saying because of the way she's telling him off. Right. But she gets enough of the gist. And she's still mad at him. <laughs> but she basically takes it as, oh, I'm just yet another one of your flings. Right. I don't like it. And then we have the last... Well, I guess not quite the last. The second to last movement of this movie, which is the return of... The rat. The demon rat. The rat looks very demon-like. Very scary rat. Who is going to eat or kill or in some way attack the baby. Apparently, rats do attack babies. What? Tell me more. I, I actually googled, do rats attack babies? And they do, especially if the baby has, you know, like milk smell or food smell on the baby. A rat will actually bite a baby. And it doesn't mean they're not, they're trying to eat the baby, but they actually can bite them so much that they would die. There you go. Because I just thought this was wild. I was like, this is not what rats do. Apparently it it is something that some rats do. Rat sneaks into the baby's room and Lady cannot chase him off because she's chained up. So she's barking like mad and Tramp hears and comes back to find out what's going on. I will say, you know, putting on my SJW hat again, it's a little disappointing that the end of this movie, the last two big action scenes we get here are both male characters helping Lady out. And again, I understand she's chained up, but also like that was a story decision. And that is how all these Disney movies go. It's true because in the original story where there wasn't Tramp, Lady was supposed to be the one who killed the rat. Yeah, but no. Tramp has to kill the rat so that he can be shown to be a good guy and a hero and he cares about the family. Yep. 
It's the answer to her question of who will protect the baby. <laughs> Tramp does. It's a good action sequence. Tramp gets a little bit hurt. Aunt Sarah, of course, comes in because she hears all the ruckus and sees the two dogs standing by the baby and, of course, takes the wrong idea. Yes. And she locks Tramp up in the closet. She locks Lady in the cellar. And then she goes and calls the pound. And she says, if you want my advice, she says to the dog catcher, you'll destroy that animal at once, which, one, is an insane thing to say. Yeah. Two, even stranger that it's the fairy godmother. Yeah. And it's the fairy godmother voice. Yeah, it is. It's a little, that's what makes it a little strange. Bippity boppity kill a dog. <laughs> and he's like, we've been looking for this one for months. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to kill this dog. That's what we do. Don't worry about it. We got it. As he's walking out with Tramp, Jim Deer and Darling are returning home. And they're like, what's going on? Oh, no, my baby. Mm -hmm. And they hear Lady barking. Then they let her out. And Aunt Sarah's, of course, freaking out. Ah, dogs. Somehow Lady is able to communicate the fairly complicated idea of a rat came in to attack the baby and the Tramp, the dog from earlier killed it yep it's amazing that she's able to somehow get the humans to understand that but they do but she also gets jock and trusty to understand that presumably just because they hear it as you know spoken word english yep and so this is where again they go to save the day they're gonna chase down the dog catcher's wagon and jock is like trusty we know you've lost your sense of smell years ago and trusty's like not listening to you and he does manage to follow the wagon and they chase it and they catch up. Which just works. Yeah, it does. It's another big action moment. Yes, and also like Trusty getting his smell back. Like again, it's such an obvious moment. Yeah. It's so obvious that of course that's what it's going to be. But it does still feel very triumphant yeah. when he is able to find and uh, knock over the cart by putting his body in front of the wheel, basically, it seems like. And it seems like he might be dead. Then it's Christmas, and I assume it's supposed to be the next Christmas? Possibly, because the baby is still... No, that cannot be, because she was six months old and then nine months of baby, so it can't be well, a year later. Well, I don't... There's been a winter in between. The craving scene is a winter. True. Yeah, so that's true. By the time we have this whole thing with Lady and Tramp, she is a year and a half old. You're right. Not that it really matters, but Tramp now has a collar. Mom status. Lady's a mom. They have four puppies. One looks just like Tramp and three look just like Lady. That's how cartoon babies are. The Muppet Christmas Carol where all the boys are frogs and all the girls are pigs. <laughs> and I want to see a horrific pig frog hybrid. <laughs> nope, you don't get that. Although it must be said, that did kind of happen in our family. It's not gendered, but I <laughs> I look like you and my brother looks like dad. It's so. true. A little bit. A little bit. Jock and Trusty visit. Jock has a cute sweater. And Trusty has his leg in a bandage. Aunt Sarah has sent dog biscuits as a present, so obviously she's a little bit over her dog fear. Or she's just like, I'll send you dog biscuits and I won't come. <laughs> that might be part of it. I think it might be like, okay, I tried to kill who is now your pet dog, <laughs> who also... <laughs> saved your child's life right i think aunt sarah is not welcome in their home and i think she's <laughs> trying to make amends you know we can hope 
But uh, yes, Jock has a, a cute little sweater, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Really just so that the baby tramp, mm-hmm. who is Scamp, Scamp, can rip it apart. Can unravel the sweater. The last line, you know, the last moment of the movie is the final old reliable joke. Yep. Where, of course, he finally is able to continue the story. Because the little children are like, no, you haven't, Uncle Trusty. Only to, of course, realize that... He has completely forgotten whatever it is he's always trying to say about Old Reliable. I completely forgot what Old Reliable used to say. Because he hasn't been able to say it in so long. Right. And again, it's dumb. It's obvious. I cracked up. And I genuinely cracked up and the movie ends and I'm feeling good. Yep. Uh, You know what doesn't make me feel good most of the time, (laughs) or certainly this time? Sequels, (laughs) spinoffs, remakes, rides, and reboots. Yep. Boy, oh boy. Is there anything at the parks? There is. At Walt Disney World in the Magic Kingdom, there is Tony's Town Square Restaurant, where, of course, it's Lady and the Tramp paraphernalia around the restaurant. Right. Outside on the sidewalk in the concrete, there's like paw prints in a heart. At Epcot, during the Flower and Garden Festival, they have Lady and the Tramp topiaries, which I saw pictures of online and are quite, quite amazing. Yeah. It's not just the shapes, but like different type of plants for her ears Mm -hmm. so that they look all shaggy oh the topiaries they do as they do with many of the things at at disney parks are amazing and like somebody went to a lot of work to make these look like this that's what they got you don't get to meet them you know at the parks (laughs) and they don't have people dressed up as lady and tramp that would be weird so the immediate uh, spinoff, I suppose, was written by Ward Green, who wrote the that original story, Happy Dan the Cynical Dog. Mm-hmm. He wrote a, a series of comics about Scamp. Yep. There were six different storylines, because it was more of a sort of soap opera serialized comic. Mm-hmm. And then different authors took over to turn it into a, uh, you know, joke-a-day strip. (laughs) And it continued until June 1988. Wow. Well into your lifetime. Yep. You can find many of the comics online. You can also buy them all in print. It's pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) I like newspaper comics a lot. It's a weird thing people don't expect about me, but I do. I, I enjoy a lot of newspaper comics. I enjoy the history of newspaper comics. Even some of the ones I hate, I like know about because it's interesting to me. Yeah. And uh, I love a lot of comics from this time. I love, for example, Pogo. Mm-hmm. Pogo is a comic strip that ran from 48 until 75. So, you know, it was definitely running at this time. It's a very important comic that had a lot of really important themes, like a lot of important messages, as well as just being very funny. Mm -hmm. So, like, what I'm saying is, I know that newspaper comics are incredibly lame, and Mm -hmm. humor from the uh, 40s and 50s can be seen as incredibly lame. I am perhaps one of a very few 20-somethings in America who would be primed to like this. The Scamp comic is dumb. (laughs) But was it a newspaper comic or a comic book comic? Because I thought it was comic books. Newspaper. Okay. It was published by the aforementioned King Features Syndicate. Mm-hmm. I think technically it was more kind of a, a magazine comic than the books. It was released in books, yeah. as these comics tend to be. But it was it was newspapers and magazines. So it was, you know, a syndicated daily cartoon. We didn't hardly ever take the paper when I was growing up. So I wouldn't have been likely to have seen it if it was in any papers that I would have had access to. <laughs> the storylines are very trite. 
direct-to-video sequel kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which, oh boy, isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> and the joke strips are just not very... F- I mean, they feel like bargain bin Pogo or bargain bin Peanuts. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously... Newspapers already had a dog, and it was uh, the best one. Yep. And then, of course, they did a direct-to-video sequel because you they gotta mm-hmm. they gotta do that. Lady and the Tramp Two: Scamp's Adventure. I do almost sort of appreciate that uh, they kept Scamp and some of the like at least the names from that comic. Well, not the other dogs in the comic. Two of the three ones that look almost identical. Two of them were girls and one was a boy and they had completely different names. Apparently in Scamp's Adventure, they're all girls. Annette, Colette, and Danielle. Yeah, that's what they are in Scamp's Adventure. And they were like fluffy, roughy, and I forget the name of the boy dog. Scooter was the other boy. Scooter, that's right. Anyway, this movie bad. Um, Mm -hmm. I really was not going to watch this because it just looks like your classic direct-to-video sequel of what if the first movie but again, basically. This one is almost what is the first movie but reversed. Which is, you know, what they do with like the the Little Mermaid sequel Mm -hmm. that's literally just what if a human wanted to be a mermaid. Mm -hmm. Um, I am pretty sure I watched this as a kid. It It does. A lot of it seems very very familiar it does feel very familiar i feel like maybe you guys rented it once or maybe it was on disney channel and you watched it once and i vaguely watched it with you or heard it while you were watching it i read the synopsis but i didn't watch it i was just like this seems vaguely familiar like i said i wasn't going to watch it but then i read something about how the first scene is this insane nationalist musical number about american patriotism Mm. And I was like, what? So I turned on the movie. That is, in fact, correct. <laughs> I could not watch more than that first scene. It is this huge. It starts on Independence Day. And the opening oh. song is about how Independence Day is the best and how America is the best. It's very strange because yeah. even the dogs are singing that and the dogs don't have a concept of borders <laughs> whatever and then i tried to watch a little more of the movie but couldn't make it because it's really bad like obviously it's bad in the way all of them are where it has like really lazy animation but this one just completely misses everything about the first one including for example you see uh jim deer and darling's faces and entire bodies the whole time they don't hmm. even try to inherit the very famous visual language of the first movie and putting it all at dog's eye level i wondered about that because I saw some images from the movie, you know, stills, and I looked like that's what was going on. They don't try to do that. The voices sound completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, the original voice actors are not coming back. Fine. Usually they get pretty good imitators. Not so in this. (laughs) It's like the lady and Tramp are not even trying. I didn't get to Jock or Trusty. I'm fine not knowing what they sound like. Yeah, and I'm like I said, I'm pretty sure I saw that several of the pound dogs also return. Whatever. Not worried about it. As I said last week, sorry folks, I can't watch all of these. Mm -hmm. My brain will liquefy and then of course there's a delarm in 2019 there was the direct to disney plus lady and the tramp delarm live action remake this was supposed to be one of the big things that would get people to sign up for disney plus Yep. Like the Mandalorian. Yep. It wasn't why we signed up for Disney Plus. I don't think it's why anyone signed up for Disney Plus. Yeah. 
But I did, in fact, watch it today. I cannot believe you watched this. Yeah. I knew you weren't going to have time to watch any of these things. And there wasn't likely to be as much weirdness. So I was like, oh, I'll go ahead and put it on while I'm doing something. It was not good. It's <laughs> too similar to the original. It's not of course 100% it is. shot for shot. For one thing, it's almost two hours long. Get out of there with the, all of these movies oh, now. It's so bad. All movies have to be, like, super long. All Disney movies especially. Yeah. It's the same thing we were talking about with Dumbo, where the original Dumbo works because it's 60 minutes long. <laughs> and they were like, what if it's over two hours well, in no. the live action and this version? One is... Get out of here! Lady and the Tramp is also a fairly short movie. It's not real long. It's like, what, 81 or something? It's 70. 76. 76. The live action one is almost a full two hours they kind of rush through parts that were in the original movie um and other bits they just stretch it out really long i feel like they made the spaghetti scene even longer but i don't know there were a couple of moments that kind of made me laugh a little bit not like a big ha 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 but just a little bit of a kind of a laugh you know the italian restaurant is full of customers tony and joe still go out and do the whole thing (laughs) for Lady and Tramp. Um, and as they're, you know, giving the, the spaghetti special to the dogs, somebody, a customer in the restaurant in the windows looks out and says, they told me they were out of the special. <laughs> that one, that one made me a little laugh a bit. Jock is a female dog as opposed to another boy dog. Who cares? Like, Listen, diversity is very important. I appreciate that this version of the movie has a much more diverse cast, but also like, why? What is the decision? Like, what is the story reason? Yeah. Not that there needs to be a story reason for diversity, but this Mm -hmm. is the thing. These live action remakes, they change things to change things mostly. I will say Sam Elliott doing Trusty's voice was quite funny, but Sam Elliott's just got a great voice. That's good casting. That's a good idea. That's good casting right there. Speaking of casting, I saw F. Murray Abraham plays Tony. That is so depressing to me. Yeah. F. Murray Abraham, no. one of the greatest actors who's ever lived, has to play, and I'm sure he's not playing Tony like in the original movie, but still, he has to play Very nearly. the guy who's really into dog marriage. Here's what bothered me the most about the movie, though. It's the way they are looking like real live dogs, but their mouths move when they talk. Yes, I don't know why in Lady and the Tramp, the animated movie, I'm not bothered at all by how the dogs look when they talk. But in the live action remake, they don't look like they have human lips or anything because most of them have enough fur over their mouths that you can't see what would be their lips very well. But I kept expecting them to be talking But their mouths weren't moving. Like the dogs are kind of acting or moving their heads or doing things. Like even if the dogs are doing things that aren't natural for dogs, the fact that their mouths moved when they talk creeped me out. Right. The unexpected journey route is what you're looking for. I guess. I could have maybe accepted it more if they hadn't bothered with any mouth movements at all when the dogs are talking human, you know. But yeah, it wasn't different enough. It wasn't a new enough story to be worth watching. It didn't have anything different to say. Of course it wasn't. So let me tell you, I watched one scene of this movie. Which scene did you watch? So I was doing research, of course, as we do. Mm -hmm. And I found out something I did not know when this movie came out, which is that it has original songs performed by by Janelle Monae, 
I love Janelle Monet. I think she's an amazing actor mm-hmm. and an amazing singer. I love her music. Okay. So I was like, oh, there's original Janelle Monet songs. Well, I gotta go listen to those. But what really surprised me was they were going to put the Siamese Cat song in the movie. She was going to perform it and do a new version Hmm. Of the Siamese cat song. Well, they didn't, of course. Yes. And and so this is the thing. Mm-hmm. So I assumed they would just completely cut that out. Like the Dumbo remake, which the Dumbo remake is telling a different story. But yeah, I figured they would just not even hint at it. Like they do not exist. Nope. They, the problem is they have to have something like that. Because why does Aunt Sarah put her in a muzzle. I think they could think of a lot of stuff. But what they do <laughs> then is they cast two black actors, which is quite strange. Yep. Uh, they cast the two members of Deep Cotton, which is a, a funk duo, an Atlanta-based funk duo, who were going to help Monet rewrite the song. Uh, they completely got rid of the song, of course, mm-hmm. and wrote a new blues song called What a Shame. And yep. the cats are not, they're not Siamese cats. They're just like some gray cat. I think There is a particular they're... breed they are, but I forget what it is. And so this is the scene I watched is the What a Shame scene because... Ah. I think it's strange that they kept something that close to it. I think it's strange that, like, I would think if you're going to keep in anything similar to those characters, you acknowledge that the original scene was anti-Asian and, you know, you cast two, maybe two Thai actors specifically. (laughs) And yes, let them do a new song for God's sake. (laughs) But I, I think it's strange that they instead make it two black character i'm not saying it's problematic or anything i'm just saying it's an odd choice to me mm-hmm. i don't understand exactly what the reasoning behind it is so i watch that scene of the movie and that was enough to be like wow this is terrible i agree with you every time the animals are talking and the cats are almost the worst because they don't have fur on their mouths at all like the dogs almost all the dogs are shaggy varieties that they're you know their mouths are not are more obscured but the cats are not and their mouths are extremely visible, and they were the worst. The cats look like these PlayStation 3 cutscenes. <laughs> sometimes Lady does too. The CGI is horrendous. And again, I totally agree with you. Here's the thing. The original characters are so carefully designed, right? right. They are designed to split the difference between they can move and talk and somewhat act like humans, but they are still dogs. Right. And combining the qualities, that thing like Lady's ears... You know, make her look feminine, make Mm -hmm. her look like she has long hair or a dress or something. Stuff like that. They know how to incorporate that well. And of course, because it's all hand-drawn animation, nothing looks real. Uh So the unreality of it never bothers you. They are so obsessed with these Delarms, with any of them with animals, making the most photorealistic animals possible. And it's always the wrong choice. And it's especially wrong here because it looks so Weird, because you know, like, all right, this almost looks like a real dog, but it speaks like a man. (laughs) It's not right. And it troubles me, just as it would trouble you in real life, because it's a troubling vision. (laughs) Yes. That's, you know, that's the the, the son of Sam or whatever. Like, it's... And it does. It looks horrifying. The CGI looks really bad. The cinematography, you know, at least in this scene, is all yellow and Mm. washed out. I'm, like, just looking at the YouTube video again. Yeah. Looks terrible, looks colorless. It does feel very colorless. Lady is like quipping throughout, I guess is the, at least in this is the decision they've made for her character, which... She does do some quipping. She joins in with Tramp's cons much more fully. Which is not the Mm -hmm. point of the character. Like again, the original 
character is so good and so compelling, I think, because she is so subtle and it's a very kind of nuanced, careful voice performance. I like Tessa Thompson, who plays Lady in the reboot. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's a particularly good voice actor. It's a different skill. Yeah. It's really bad. It I really hated watching it. <laughs> the new song in this scene, I don't think is particularly... I don't think any of the Janelle Monáe songs written for this are particularly good, and I was very disappointed by They're that. They're not very memorable, and they really do use the several the old songs. It even feels like when the movie first begins that... Christmassy song that's at the beginning of the animated one. Mm -hmm. I really think they used that exact same audio at the beginning of this one. Not even the same song, just other people singing it. They do sing it again later with different, I think um, Darling sings it. But at the beginning, I really feel like it's the exact same audio from Lady and the Tramp. And maybe I would have felt less like, why bother with this if I hadn't just watched the animated Lady and the Tramp? If it was, but I still think it would have creeped me out with the way their mouths move. This just isn't a movie with modern sensibilities. And also it's a movie that works because of the brilliant animation. It works because Frank Thomas was one of the greatest animators mm. who ever lived and he drew two dogs kissing while eating spaghetti and you bought it right like right. it's a movie that doesn't work if you are forced to think about the reality of it and the live action by the nature of live action is like here's the reality of it here it is it's right. in your face right. it's just not the correct medium for this story live action isn't better for all stories it's true and these alarms suck yeah and i'm glad this got dumped on disney plus and forgotten forever let it be lost to the dustbin of history i had kind of forgotten that it existed until we were searching for lady and the tramp on disney plus and that one also came up i'm like oh yeah i forgot about that didn't ever watch of course it. you did because everyone watched <laughs> the mandalorian <laughs> I watched The Mandalorian, and it was great. <laughs> yes. Compared to this garbage, The Mandalorian's yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah. It's the best TV show that's ever existed. <laughs> oh, boy. You get riled up. You do get riled up. This is a good reminder of why I never watch these Delarms. They are anti-art. And you didn't even watch it. <laughs> I watched two minutes and 30 seconds of it, and I was like, I hate that I experienced this. <laughs> I'd rather eat toothpaste for dinner. That's what it feels like. It feels like eating toothpaste. I'm just disgusted. Ugh. Sequels, spinoffs, remakes, rides, and reboots. Uh, we don't rate these movies on a numerical scale. We. I would rather watch the 7Ds. I'll watch two hours of the 7Ds before I watch that Lady and the Tramp remake. So don't watch it. It's not worth it. Uh, I just wanted to bring up 7Ds again. Uh... <laughs> Why? It haunts me! <laughs> uh, we don't rate these movies on a numerical scale. We ask each other two questions. Would you recommend this movie and would you show this movie to a child? Mom, go. I think I would go ahead and recommend this movie, especially to people who like dogs. I think even though it has the problematic racist song in the middle of it, overall it is still a good movie. Again, it's not one of my favorites. I wouldn't say it's any of one of the best I wouldn't even say it's the best of this era. I think it's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Worth watching. For a child, yes, I believe I would show it to a child, though I I was like, I can't, couldn't remember if I'd showed it to you. Obviously, you have you had seen it, so I must have. I know you would have let you watch it whenever we did get the Blu-ray, but you were much older by then, so. 
I'm certain I saw it multiple times before then. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you could have seen it at grandma's house, great grandma's house. It could have been on the Disney Channel and you watched it. I do think it was a blockbuster rental. That is also possible. I agree on both counts. Certainly a movie for kids. I guess maybe the demon rap might be scary, but I don't think for most people it would be. You don't even get to see it that much. Exactly. It's not enough of an immediate threat. And I feel like when I was a kid, I think we've talked about this, what scared me was like big things. Yeah. Like the evil rat is small, even yeah. compared to our dog main characters. Yeah. So I, it feels less intimidating, at least to me. I don't know. I recommend it for a kid and I recommend it for anyone. Now, again, it is a movie based on stereotypes. If you're like, I can't watch this movie because it has age well, That makes perfect sense to me. Correct. I'm not going to tell you that you should like it. Mm -hmm. And it is a very empty movie. And I feel like this time more than any time I watched it before that really stood out to me Mm -hmm. how like it is kind of paper thin. But there is, again, just such a charm to it. It's so beautiful. It moves. It's very quick. Again, all these things that the live action version (laughs) messes up. It's so light and fluffy. Yes. Like her ears. Yes. I don't know how I could hate this movie, at least. I I just, I'm charmed by it every time and won over by it, even though, yeah, definitely not a favorite. Definitely not uh, a high point of the Silver Era. I do think Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, this is the low point, these two back to back, um, even though neither of them is like melody time horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll have some lower low points later. Yeah, but next week... Next week is not a low point at all. Nope. This does it for our show, and we want everyone to come back next week for Sleeping Beauty. Now, Mom, what do you think of this movie? Sleeping Beauty is my favorite movie of this entire era. Possibly my favorite Disney animated movie. I'm not sure, because there are some others that we're going to get to later that I absolutely love also but sleeping beauty is and has been one of my favorites for a long time it's a perfect movie so come back next week to hear us talk about a perfect movie until then i'm me i'm mom and it all started with a mouse or an evil rat 